Hey, well, welcome everyone. Great to see you here this morning. Uh, my name's Mark. I'm uh, the rector here uh, and um, part one of the, well, I, you know, we just want to say senior pastor, the minister, but we're all ministers. We all care for each other, but I do have this role and it's great to be back. We had a lovely holiday um, uh, on cycl in cyclone-ravaged Queensland it's uh, it just what a great year it's already turned out to be. So uh, just keeps on getting better. Uh, COVID is the gift that keeps on giving and uh, fantastic. But it is lovely to be back and to be amongst our family, our spiritual family. And I hope you've had a great year so far, that you're hanging in there, you're safe. I'm great to see you all on Zoom. Glad you can join us. Let me pray. Our Lord Jesus, now as we um, pause to think about who you are and what that all means in our lives, I pray that your um, Holy Spirit will speak to us and guide us and strengthen us and encourage us and fill us with joy and fill us with peace and fill us with hope. Amen. So uh, one of the most important things we can think about as people uh, as humans, is uh, what's gone wrong with the world? Now, if I asked you right now, you know, what's wrong? What's really wrong with the world? Um, yeah, what might you say? I don't know. Think about it. Or maybe if you... Let me, let me rephrase it. Not what you would say. Imagine if you went on your Facebook feed. <laughs> maybe the Balmain Living Facebook group. <laughs> And you said, uh, on f in the world, as you listen to people's discussions, if you said to folk, what's really wrong with the world? What do you think people might say? You can stick your hand and yell out an answer. COVID's really wrong with the world. Yeah, yeah, COVID's bad, yeah. Rude teenagers, yeah. If you're on the Belmain, if you're on any Facebook group on the peninsula. Sorry? Mark of the Beast, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, it's not just COVID that's wrong with the world. It's like government's response. Everybody else's response is wrong. And if only I ruled the world, it'd be a much better place. I'd be a much better ruler of Australia. And I would have made sure, you know, this is what you read. Like, I, if I were in charge, that's really the subtext, you know. The, so, you know, on the, um, those on the right under, you know, maybe even as six weeks ago, we're like, all these terrible impositions and restrictions on our freedom and the government should just stop mandating this and it's all awful and we need more freedom. And, and, and the government from the right, were, you know, everyone on the right was saying this is terrible. Now, of course, we've opened it up and everyone on the left is like, this is terrible. We need to close back down again. We need more restrictions. These complete idiots. And then you've got everybody going, well, you know, the government's completely messed everything up. Um, you know, I, I'm on Twitter, which is... It's a bit of a cesspool of like, and, and you have very, very intelligent people on Twitter from places like Melbourne going, they've, <laughs> they have totally, you know, anything that anyone in government does apart from Daniel Andrews is terrible. Like, you know, and you just go, well, so the government was terrible at not getting the vaccines. Then it was terrible at getting the vaccines but rolling it out. Then it was terrible at not getting enough random, not, not, not enough rat tests and so on. It's like everything's bad and the assumption is what's really wrong is I'm not in charge. Okay, so that's what's really wrong. Of course, 
why that question is so important is the answer we give to the question of what's really wrong with the world will determine the answer we give to the next question, which would be, what, what's the solution? How do we fix it up? How do we fix it up? Now, you can see the problem with the diagnosis that what's wrong with the world is I'm not in charge, is it, it actually offers no solution, because if for a moment I was in charge, well, it would be, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't go well uh, if I had unlimited power over everyone and everything in the world. I'd have a great time for maybe half an hour, and then it'd be a disaster. But, but seriously, the problem with that thinking that is embedded in us, it's actually a recipe for a lot of the anxiety and stress and depression that we're currently experiencing. Because there is embedded in us this sense that things would be better if I were in control, I should be in control, I should be in charge, but I'm not, and I should be, and I feel anxious, and I feel powerless because I want to be in charge, but I'm not. But I also know that if I were, it probably wouldn't help anyway. So what, what we do psychologically is we load ourselves up with all the pressure to be in control and the expectation and then the frustrations that we're not. And you just get this massive sense of anxiety. Because if I'm not in control and you're not in control, but I feel like I should be and you feel like you should be and we're competing for it, but we all know that even if we were, it still wouldn't really solve the problem. Well, where are we left? What are we left with? Well, we're left with just this massively heightened sense of anxiety and fear. And we lash out at each other. We attack each other. We lose all civility. We lose the ability to experience each other as whole people who, just like us, are doing our best to get through this life and through the world. And, and it just makes it all worse. Isn't that what a comforting thought? You thought, I'll come to church this morning and I'll just be encouraged. And Well, well here's the good news. Uh, and the good news is found in the baptism of Jesus. So this is in the church's calendar. This is the first Sunday after Epiphany. Epiphany is 12 days after Christmas. Epiphany is the, the, the festival in the church's calendar where we remember the revelation, the epiphany, the, the revealing, the unveiling of Jesus as God incarnate. And in particular, for this Sunday, the reading, the focus is on the baptism of Jesus and um, the baptism of Jesus is announced by John, and then we see it recorded in all the Gospels. And uh, in this story, we see two things. We see uh, an introduction to the whole Bible story that tells us what's really wrong with the world, and we see where the real solution to what is wrong with the world lies. So I hope by the time I'm finished, and by the time we're finished here today, you will have a slightly clearer vision of what's really wrong with the world, and you'll have hope that what's gone wrong is going to be healed and fixed, and that will help you be a little less anxious, a little more peaceful, a little better able to connect with folk around you and treat them civilly, even when they're moronic idiots um, on social media. And I say that with the greatest lack of respect. Um, <laughs> So uh, as we get into this, what we're going to do is just breathe. 
So just take a moment. And as Noah escapes, <laughs> no, and mother goes after, he can't actually get out, but you know, he might be able to hurt himself. So let's just breathe. As we come to consider what's wrong with the world and where the solution is, just allow your heart to be still. The adrenaline to subside. And now let's think together. Before John appears in this chapter of Luke chapter 3, he goes out into the wilderness and it's the text quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. And in Isaiah 40, the quote is this, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John the Baptist who immediately precedes Jesus, announces Jesus' coming, is presented in this text as the... Uh, and, and again, this is hard for us if we, because we may not know the Bible as well as um, the original hearers would have. It's, he's presented as the fulfillment or the second um, iteration of, of the prophet Isaiah... And what's important in the prophet Isaiah is not just verse 3, but when, when the Bible verses are quoted in the New Testament, the assumption is everyone understood the whole context because they knew their Bibles really well. And the context is this. These are, this is what Jesus, this is the message that uh, God was wanting Isaiah to bring to the world. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. What does all that mean? Well, God's plan for, hum for the world has been always been to overturn evil and sin and sickness and injustice through a community of people. So what's really gone wrong with the world is that this world was created as a place where there was a cosmic evil. There are spiritual forces, according to the Bible, who have rebelled against God, the one true God. So this, this might sound a little weird if you're not used to the whole church thing, but bear with me. It's, it's, it's the biblical cosmology or, or understanding of how the cosmos works. And, and what the Bible says, and if you, you've got to go right back to the start, it says there was a good world that God made, but this world was made in the context of a host of spiritual beings, many of whom had rebelled against Yahweh, the one true God. And these beings had rebelled against Yahweh and God's plan to defeat evil once and for all in all of the universe was by creating a community of human beings who would freely choose him 
and in whom and through whom, as they freely chose to submit to him, God would defeat evil as men and women with God bore his image we would defeat evil on his behalf with him. And finally and fully, as we did God's will, we would do away with evil. That was the plan. Uh, when we read the Bible, we discover this plan had one fatal or seemingly fatal flaw. That is, that every person that God chose to work with to defeat evil became part of the problem. See, right from the start, Genesis chapter 3, right the way through to the choosing of Abraham in Genesis 12 and the choosing of Israel, every person God chose to work in and through to defeat evil became part of the problem. And this is what's really wrong with the world, that, that all of us, in our own ways, are so tragically flawed from the inside that no matter how great the vision is that God gives us, no matter how compelling the vision is, no matter how wonderful the, it might appear to live with God, inside our hearts, we're fearful of God, we're selfish, and we choose to believe the lies of the rebellious spirits that if we, if we follow them, we'll find life more than if we follow God. You see, the rebellious spirits personified or characterized saying Genesis 3 in the form of the serpent and we'll see in the gospels they come after Jesus say to us you don't need the one true God if you've got if you've got enough money then you'll really have life and there's something in our hearts that goes yeah all the rebellious spirits say to us you know what if you just if you just have enough love then you'll really have life and there's a part of us that goes yeah all the rebellious spirits whispered, I say, well, if you just had really good, competent leaders, then you'd have life. And there's a part of us that goes, yeah. That's, by the way, why we get authoritarianism and why we gladly accede over history to powerful rulers who in the end up crush us. But there's this thing in us that believes the whispered lie from Satan and all his demons that say, a strong leader is what you really need and you trust this leader and he'll lead you or she'll lead you, though it's typically a he in this context, into the promised land of glory. And, and so we all go along with it and then we end up in concentration camps and, uh, and oppressed and... Um, and it's misery. But there's a bit of us that always is tempted to go, yeah, yeah, if I just, I can do anything but actually f trust the one true God. I can find life. I can make it work. If I just have enough control. So the problem is this. And so in Isaiah, what we have as John comes onto the scene is Yahweh and what the Bible calls his divine counsel. Yahweh and all the spirits uh, all the divine beings who are ruling and overseeing the world, and they get together and they go, okay, we're going we're gonna to heal Israel, and we're going to start again. And through Israel, we're going we're gonna to comfort, we're going to speak tenderly, uh, and we're going to give her forgiveness. So there's going to be comfort, there's going to be tenderness, and there's going to be forgiveness, and it's going to be a fresh start for Israel. Uh, now, this was like five... 40 BC. So, and we know that even that fresh start didn't come to much because Israel was still fatally flawed. So now 500 years later, John the Baptist appears 
And the gospel writers take these same words from Isaiah where God is saying, I'm going to give a fresh start. I'm going to do something new. I'm going to give forgiveness and comfort and peace to my people. And it's going to be the beginning of the end of the fight against evil and injustice. And this is what is quoted for John the Baptist as he prepares the way for Jesus. So what does all that mean? The gospel writers are saying to us, through John the Baptist and the retelling of the story of Isaiah in John the Baptist, to get ready to understand that in Jesus, God is going to fulfill every promise that he made to Isaiah, every promise that he made to Israel, every promise that he made to humanity to finally overcome all that is wrong with the world, to finally bring forgiveness and tenderness and healing to the world. That's, that's the whole point of John the Baptist. Get ready. God is on the move. Oh, that's awesome. How's he going to do it? What's God's plan going to be this time? Because the problem has been every time God has chosen a group of people to work through, they've stuffed it up. So what's the plan? Epiphany. Baptism of Jesus. In the words of Baldrick, sitting in the divine council, I have a cunning plan, sire. Except this really is a cunning plan. What is God's plan? Well, God's plan is now he is going to, there is going to come into this world a human person in whom and through whom and with whom the great most high God is going to work perfectly. And together this person and this God are going to work to overcome all evil, defeat Satan, defeat all the demons, defeat everything that has gone wrong with humankind. And God is going to provide this hero, this champion, this great warrior for justice and love. That's what John the Baptist is telling us. And when we get to the baptism of Jesus, which is recorded here, what we're told is this person is Jesus and is none other than the great God himself coming down and taking on humanity's form and very nature so that now God himself creates a whole fresh start. God says, yep, human beings have stuffed up and not made it work, so I'm going I'm to have a fresh start. I'm still going to do it through human, but this is going to be a human like no other human because this is going to be a human who never stuffs up, who never who never gives in to any of the lies of the evil one. And this is what we see. Uh, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Now, what you've got to re remember, which you may not know, but baptism in, uh, in, was in the Jordan River. And baptism was a sign of people turning back to God. Uh, and there's a whole lot of symbolism here with baptism. There's, there's Jesus identifying with Israel. Jesus saying, I'm part of humanity. He's going through the same rites as Israel, saying, I'm, I'm part of this community. I'm, I'm a real human. I'm in this with you. But there's more. Because the going, coming out through the river, through the waters, has been a massive symbol in the history of God's people of moving from chaos to peace, from oppression by foreign gods into a land where they worship the one true God. And you say, what do I mean by that? Well, um, 
I'll give you a little bit of a lesson in ancient Greek and Mark's gospel. But you see there up on the screen, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was being baptized. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. So spiritual reality was opened. In, in another version of this story, in Mark's gospel, the word is heaven was split open. And actually that word and that phrase of heaven being opened, the heavens being opened, is the same word that was, is used in the Greek translation of the story in Exodus when the Red Sea was split open. Okay, so there seem to be echoes in the story of this great victory that God won for his people Israel. So you think about it. Passover story. God's people who were meant to be uh, living, living free, living uh, with God in the promised land had ended up, as, ended up as slaves in Egypt. And God dramatically rescues them. And, and the context of the Exodus is a battle between the one true God and all the false gods of Israel, all the Elohim, the false gods of Israel, and this massive battle. And the battle comes to a great climax when God has, through the, through the ten plagues, the, the Israelites have been released. Now they come up. They're being chased by uh, the Egyptian army representing all the forces and powers of evil ranged against God. And they come up against the Red Sea. And it looks like God's plan is going to end. And then what happens? God splits open the Red Sea. They go through the watery chaos and come out the other side into the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And all the army, the Egyptian army goes into the Red Sea and gets killed. Great story of God defeating evil and freeing his people as they come through the water from chaos into salvation. Now, fast forward 40 years, Israel wander around the desert. It's not a long walk, but it takes them a while because they've got to learn a whole bunch of stuff. And they walk around the desert and they keep stuffing up and they keep stuffing up and they keep stuffing up. Eventually they get to a river. What river do they get to? The Jordan River. What happens in the Jordan River? They cross through the, all the, the original people who fled Egypt, die in the desert. The next generation go through the Jordan River and they come out of the other side into the promised land, the land of milk and honey, the place of God's blessing, peace, rest from their enemies. Except we know, of course, the promised land isn't a place of blessing because they stuff up, they mess up, it doesn't really work for them, and they get chucked out again, and eventually they come back. But it never has really been sort of the heaven on earth that they, it was meant to be. All of that comes together in the story. Jesus representing the, the one who has come to take the battle to uh, all the foes of God to rescue humanity and bring forgiveness and healing and restoration to bring heaven to earth. Jesus comes down and he goes into the Jordan River. There is a splitting apart of the heavens. Jesus comes out. The fullness of God is there. And what is seen is this is, this is the start of the great final battle. And the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form, so the fullness of the presence of God. And a voice from heaven says, you are my son whom I love. Uh, the beloved, maybe we just go to the next slide because, you know, that's an important little verse there. With you I am well pleased, or you are my, the, the word, the Greek word behind well pleased is actually the same word that in Hebrew is used of Solomon. It's the same translated as Solomon's name. So 
The problem is me, my heart. And the solution is God provides the one true human to defeat evil in a way that you and I can't so that we can receive the forgiveness that we need. We can get new hearts and a whole new way of living and we can be drawn into his new community, his new humanity. We can get our lives back. We can receive forgiveness. We can be part of this new world. A new world where God fights for you. Where God gives you hope. Where God promises restoration and healing and peace. Everything that you long for. God says, I will give you if you will come and follow me and trust me. So, uh, what does that mean? Let's get super practical. In 2022, may this be a year where you and I trust Jesus as God who fights for us and loves us and forgives us. And that's not an easy thing to do because we, we find it far easier to trust ourselves and our money and our status and our this and our that and our politics. But the heart of faith is to trust to live as though it's actually true that this baptism story tells us that God is at work in the world. And if I trust Jesus, everything that I long for, everything that I'm made for will finally be fulfilled. That in, in, him, in him, evil is finally overcome. Let 2022 be for us a year where we... Every day, wake up and ask ourselves this question or pose to ourselves this challenge. Will I align all of my interests with the interests of Jesus? Okay? Will I align my interests, my values, what really matters to me with the interests and the values of Jesus? Because that's what it means to live with him as God, to say, actually, I should care about the things that he cares about. I should, I should live the way Jesus would live were he living my life in my place. Do I love the poor? Do I love the rich? Do I love my neighbor as myself? Do I forgive? Do I trust? Do I always seek the best for others? Am I full of hope or am I a cynic and full of despair? Can I live today trusting God to provide for me today and not worry about tomorrow because that's how Jesus says? So will 2022 be a year where you learn to live in the way of Jesus and where we learn increasingly to do that? Because it's not something you ever finish learning. Every day, every season of life presents new challenges to trust Jesus and his victory for us. How does that happen? Well, I want to, I want to suggest this to you. Um, you might say, okay, well, how do I do this? Well, like Jesus, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You actually need the Spirit of God, the personal spiritual presence of God to come into your life, to come upon you, to fill you, to make all of this stuff real to give you spiritual power to follow Jesus. So, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? 
Have you, been, have you asked Jesus, have you asked the Spirit into your life to fill you with the presence and the love and the reality of Jesus? That's what it is. And then to live in conscious dependence on God in, the, in His fullness in your life. Father, Son, and Spirit. So I'm going to give us a chance to do that as we, as we kick off this new year. To pause and uh, ask God to fill us afresh. And maybe, maybe you've been following Jesus for like the last 50 years. and um, but Maybe this morning you just need a fresh sense of his love for you. And his, the power of his victory for you. And maybe you need the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh. Or maybe this is all pretty new. And then this morning I just say, turn your life over to Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit of Jesus to fill you and maybe for the first time give you a new heart and a whole new way of living. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you that you have lived and died and risen again for us that you are God in all his fullness, come to fight for us, to live for us, to obey for us, to pray for us, to love for us, to die for us, and to rise again for us. And I ask you for each of us in this room and on the Zoom call that, that this morning we will turn our lives over to you, maybe for the thousandth time maybe for the first time we will surrender to you and we will we will trust you and i pray that you will pour your holy spirit out on us maybe now in the quiet you might ask you might pray a little prayer that goes like this holy spirit fill me Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Thank you, Lord. And as we trust you, as we're full of your spirit, Lord, I want to pray for this year ahead that it is, it is the best year yet. The, the year of greatest closeness with you, greatest obedience, greatest blessing, greatest peace, greatest joy, greatest love. No matter what the pandemic brings, no matter what the economy brings, no matter what the stuff of life is, from the inside out, may you be powerfully at work in us in ways that are just beyond anything we could hope or imagine sitting here this morning. And we ask all of this in your name, Lord. Amen.